Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different. Different. This is NOCO FM. Every one of us has a story to tell. Did you know that telling your story, though, can have amazing healing powers for you? Not only is telling your story amazingly healing, but as you continue to evolve through your story and no longer define yourself by it, but grow beyond it, actually the sharing of your story can become a gift. Today, Leah Lamb talks to us about how she collaborates with story as a tool for self-awareness, social change, and community building. She has authored short stories, communities, and award-winning PSAs about the environment. She produced and hosted The Green Channel on the Emmy Award-winning television network, Current TV, and has written for Fast Company, Spirituality and Health Magazine, National Geographic, Newswatch, and The Huffington Post. Today we can learn about the importance of getting in touch with our own stories and the importance of listening to other stories, how it can change our perspective and paradigm on our world and also within ourselves. Welcome to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. I am so thrilled, Leah, to have you on the show today. Looking up all of your different things, I'm I'm just so fascinated by this sacred storytelling that you do. Yeah. And and so before we dive into that, though, I want to know just more about you. What got you interested in storytelling? How did this come to fruition for you? I mean, I, it came to me as honestly as anything can. You know, from the very beginning, I was absolutely obsessed with stories. And I remember, you know, I traveled on the airplane between my parents as a child. And whatever poor sucker ended up sitting next to me, I would like bother them for the entire time. Be like, tell me a story, tell me a story. And they were something that you know, I, I fell in love with stories. I fell in love with getting to live such a big life through getting to travel through all these different stories. And then I fell in love with um, the process of creating them and realizing that, that, you know, anything that your world could imagine through the process of focus and intention and spending time with it, you could actually create that entire world. And so I ended up getting involved with acting. I went up to New York City and studied acting. I um, wrote one woman shows. And meanwhile, I was also really, you know, coming of age that time when we were really becoming aware of like, wow, something's happening on our earth. You know, things are really changing. We need to get into alignment and um, really got involved with social justice and and um, environmental justice and really was the state of wondering of like, what's my place to weave in this great tapestry that's unfolding in our time. And um, somewhere in there, I, I really came to this idea that, look, we can't take care of the earth if we can't take care of ourselves. And so that's how I wandered down into, I, I worked as a wilderness guide for many years, working with youth at risk and ended up um, getting a master's in social work, really focusing on systems thinking and community organizing. And at this very pivotal moment in my life, um, I, where I was actually getting away from storytelling and going towards this thinking how I should act in life. I should go do this safe, normal thing where I get a normal job and do things like everybody else does. I, um, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer 
And in the process of that, it was a very quickly growing cancer. Um, and when, by the time they diagnosed it, um, they were very, very concerned. And in the day that I was diagnosed is the day that they scheduled my operation was the day that they told me that I might lose my voice. And so at a very young age, I, I was, I was given this opportunity to really examine how I was living my life, what was motivating it. And I really saw in kind of a way that most people never get to see unless they lose something. Um, the, the gift, the responsibility that comes with having a voice to use. And after that experience, it was just like this, this alignment moment, you know, and, and this is like, I saw the window to leap out of a life that I was about to organize based on fear. And I, in this moment of like, you know, uh, superhero courage that only comes with like the great adrenaline of a few moments in our life, you know, I decided to really commit to the true alignment of what I was here for, like my own true purpose. So I never tell my story this way. So thank you for the invitation. Oh, I absolutely love this. Yes. <laughs> um, and so that ended up leading me to start a nonprofit, which at that point was called the Performance Initiative, which was all about utilizing the arts for social change. Because I really wanted to marry this connection between our connection with with social justice, with the earth and understanding that through theater, something magic could happen. And I got, and I had that feeling like I'd been in a room and all of this energy is co-created and I didn't understand anything about it, but something in me at that very young age knew that if we could just focus and harness what's created in that space and co-creating that space that we could actually make some change together. And that ended up leading me to go to um, the Bay area in San Francisco really interested in documentary filmmaking because I thought theater, oh my God, that's great. But like, it takes so much energy and effort. And the second you're done, the project's done, you know, and I was looking for, I don't know if I would say legacy projects, but something that would have a long life. And, you know, long story short, I ended up working with some very, very talented filmmakers. And it was awkward because I had this MSW that I didn't want to use. And all of a sudden I want to get into documentary filmmaking. But I had the great privilege of being interviewed by Mark Shelley, who's the producer of C Studios in Monterey, who was one of the first producers of anything about the environment. He produced Strange Days on Planet Earth. And he spotted and understood and valued this community organizing background that I came from and understood that, hey, there's this new movement in filmmaking where where we want to create these social impact campaigns. They didn't have a language for it back then, but they're like, he said, a good story is not enough. So we went into this, I went into this, you know, short-lived but very influential career of working with filmmakers to create social impact campaigns. And that was right about the time that Inconvenient Truth came out. And I ended up working in, um, as a host and producer of the Green Channel at Al Gore's television network. And it was that time where I could say like, okay, how do we get the information that gives people the inspiration, the motivation into activation. And that was the recipe that I was you know, really using. A lot of us were using. And because of this rare moment of getting to see all of the data on how people receive the content that we were producing, the data told me that people don't like data, you know, and that it's what people need stories. They really, really need stories. And so when I eventually left that position, and, you know, crushed in my soul because there's, there's nothing more brutal than being in the business of um, news and information around the state of our environment. 
it's a pretty brutal environment to be in. Yeah. And it's very one-sided, you know, all we talk about are the things that aren't going right. You know, all we talk about are the projections of what could go wrong. And I went in for another deep listen of what's my thread to weave at this time. And this massive story came in, this massive, massive story came in. And because I have this history of, of, of understanding, um, this how to create a social impact campaign with a story i started to build it as it as it was created so that the, that story is now a book series that's getting ready to be released called the whale dreamer and it has a huge social impact campaign that gives young people a role to play in the times that we're living in um that give you know and i can talk more about that later but that story introduced me to the world of storytelling and I ended up working much more with stories and really began to respect stories as these things that um, were just kind of coming back into a relationship of understanding. That's, um, I, I've come to understand that coming into relationship with stories is coming into relationship with the divine. It's coming into relationship with the creative life force. And it's coming into relationship with an intelligence and a wisdom that uh, might be bigger than your own. You know, you have more access all of a sudden. And... It's coming into relationship with your community in another way because you are in the process of kind of like engineering experiences for people, you know, and, and so it comes with responsibility. What kind of stories do you tell and, and for what purpose and who are those stories in service of, you know, so it kind of like opened up this like, you know, Pandora's box of really looking at stories in a completely different way. And through that, I ended up opening my own um, school for sacred storytelling, which is Speak the Spark, which I love our alignment, and now bring in, you know, master teachers to co-teach with and really engage people in a deep, deep way of understanding how story runs in our lives, how, how we, what parts we play in stories consciously and unconsciously, and how do we be a part of creating the story of our time, which I would also say in other words, the future, you know, the present and the future. And so that's the very long answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> and a very great answer to that question, because I mean, I, I love your journey and, and it's so interesting because your storytelling has taken on so many different mediums. Yeah. And, it and really then it's just, yeah. And so it's just continued to evolve through mm -hmm. your life mm -hmm. and then to see where it's at now. And I know when I read that your storytelling was speak the spark, I was just like, no way. Yeah. <laughs> but I yeah. love that. And, and, you know, one of the things I resonated too with you is I know that Clarissa Pinkola Estes was a big influence for you. And she was in my life as well. I mean, I can rewind all the way back to it was the late, you know, it's either 1988, 89, mm -hmm. when Women Who Run With The Wolves came out. Mm -hmm. And she, I was at CSU, I was a CSU student then. She came and spoke at mm -hmm. CSU and her stories were life transforming for me. I mean, she mm -hmm. gave us, to me, I felt like as women, these ancient stories, which gave us voice. Yeah. How, how did she impact you and your work? Well, I would say that, you know, she and I also just want to name Michael Mead and Martin Shaw have been major influences and Carolyn Casey. Um, I mean, the list could go on. I've been thinking about it, but let's yeah. just, we'll just stay right there. And what all of these people have done 
and have, have brought to the times I live in is reminding me of this deep hunger that was so alive in me to be in relationship with the old stories and, and not even the old stories, but mythic stories, the mythos, that piece, whereas Michael Mead says that where, or actually, sorry, Joseph Campbell says that, um, truth can live in these stories without the facts and information. It kind of puts us back into our animal bodies where we can, where we can resonate with the truth and we can feel it in our beingness and escape the intellect of, is that, is that fact or fiction? You know, is that true? You know, when we can see ourselves in bigger ways, we can see ourselves living in the archetypes. We can see ourselves living in the symbols. We can experience the metaphors of our life in through these old stories. And we have this place. It, it, it's like, I keep seeing like, it's like a balloon, you know, it's like, sometimes we get stuck in these really small stories. And when we bring our we, we allow myths and the mythic stories and the mythos to come alive in our life. It's like we blow some air in that balloon and we give ourselves some a bigger space and a bigger story to live and experience within ourselves. We also get more access to ourselves because we get access to that part of ourselves that lives in many and more than just this three-dimensional reality. You know, and, and it's like as Michael Mead says, behind this dimension is the mythic dimension. And I feel like you can take any Thing that you're experiencing and, and you can be like hmm, how is this living as a metaphor in the mythic dimension and see that experience it and have another perspective you get more a wider view um and a bigger life because of it well and it sounds like when you were talking about the data points you know that when you were in the project with al gore's studio and you know the, the whole thing about yeah, data's fine. It informs an intellect part of us. Mm -hmm. But these sacred stories, it sounds like, and the myths, I mean, it speaks to just a deeper and more universal sense of who we are. Yeah. And I think that data, I mean, we're, you know, we're living in the news and information era, right? And and we're learning how to learn and how to live in this era. And I would say that as someone who's been so deeply entrenched in how we understand what's happening on this planet, how we talk about it, how we talk about it in a way that serves us and serves us thriving on this planet. One thing that I've noticed is that, and I would be guilty of this, is that we mistake data as being the story. Rather than, again, blow a little air in your balloon, data having a role in the story, because it's a bigger story than just Data, data, you know, and I'm not saying that climate change isn't real, it's like yeah. it's changing world, but but how we live in and how we what roles we see as possible are influenced by how many roles we believe are in the story. And so right now, like if we take the data thing and, and we talk about climate change right now, it's like it's such a small story because, you know, right now we, there's only three roles to play. You can be a victim of what's happening on the planet and all those that came before you that created it. You can be a villain where you're a perpetrator of what's going on, or you can be a hero, you know, and save the world, you know. Well, that that is not a story that worth thriving and sustainability can actually um, prevail. Because heroes, that this is an adrenaline junkie. This is someone that can come in in a short burst and get something done and then goes on to rest until the next big, like, short burst. It's not something that can run a marathon. Mm -hmm. We need more archetypal energies in, in the story that says, hey, we are actually um, in it for the long haul. We need a bigger story where more of us can exist. 
We need to look at that we're actually in systems that were built, some intentionally, some unintentionally, that created the situation. Now, when we look at the systems, oh, who are we as people who can influence and affect the system, some easily, some not so easily? So now we're looking at, oh, we've got healers. You know, in our in our in our big story, oh, we've got visionaries. They play a big role in our story. Oh, we've got bridge builders to our new paradigm, to a new culture. Oh, those are we've got our, our gardeners. You know, and all of a sudden, we have a bigger story to live within that's still believable, right? It's like, uh, how do we change a story? If we're going to change a story, and this goes from the old fairy tales to anything, you have to you have to be true to the origin of the story, to the bones of the story. It's like, you can't rip apart the skeleton. That's what it's made of. But, you know, every being, every, we all have the same skeleton. What makes us different is how we treat our body, right? That's going to influence and affect, you know, the quality of our skin, the quality of our sight, how healthy is our liver, you know? And so same thing with a story, you know, how do we, how do we be in relationship to the stories as we change them? That's an integrity with the origin of them. So, sorry, I went totally off. That is great. <laughs> you know, but you Let's know what? Direction that's all right. You are awesome. You can, <laughs> I know you can speak it, girl. So <laughs> I love it. No, but you know, what, what you're reminding me of too is, you know, Joseph Campbell's In the Power of Myth. You know, that is what he he spoke of and that, you know, some of what we're missing, of course, is this passed down tradition of storytelling and allowing these myths, some of these myths still to exist. And what stuck in my mind, I read that book forever ago, but one of the things that stuck in my mind was that whole thing of initiation and ritual as our, you know, young men in particular, he was talking about, you know, are coming into manhood and that's why, you know, gangs were so prevalent. Yeah. Because yeah. they provide all this ritual. What is your definition of a sacred story? Mm, yeah. It's a good question for anyone to ask because nobody owns story, right? As human beings, we are all made of story. Um, you know, one of the things that I love is that, you know, the first word, you know, in the Bible, like the first word was word, you know, <laughs> you know or the powers in the word, you know, all the ancient religions agree that the world was sung, spoken, enchanted into existence. This is a key to uh, inform us humans unique role on this planet. We are all creators, you know, through our language. So coming back to what is a sacred story? And what is, what is it to be in relationship to how we use our language in a sacred way, right? It's, it's um, kind of a setup just because the second you say something is sacred, then you immediately say that something is not sacred, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But let's, let's use sacred as a term that gives us the escape hatch into, an, in an, into a conversation, you know, which is a conversation about being in relationship with the divine and seeing the divinity in all things, So if we're seeing the divinity in all things and we're aware that our language is what creates that experience and that expression for those around us, then to me, as I have come to understand a sacred story, it's a story that is in support of life thriving, thriving life on this planet. And so now as you sit in that wonderment of, okay, how many sacred stories do I get to experience on a day in a day? How many of these kinds of stories am I sharing about my life, about my learning with those around me? How do I talk about what's happening in the world through that lens? And it, it takes discipline and practice to speak in this way. 
to tell story in this way and to carry stories that hold this intention and purpose and offer us a way to see this kind of meaning in our life. And I would say that right now we are in a time where our, many of our stories have been hijacked. I would say that stories are being used against us oftentimes to serve marketing consumerism, which is not in relationship to a, a relationship of alignment with the resources on our planet. And I would say that we actually have a lot of zombie stories among us. And so you're like, oh, zombie stories. To me, that is a story that it's made without, without a consciousness or intention to support life thriving. Yeah, I and hear so, that, yeah. And so it's like, you can now, you can, you can, and they're not all made intentionally. And I really want to speak to that because I think a lot of the stories of our time are made without intention, not they're made by good people without the awareness or a specific intention and consideration of their impact of their stories on our lives. So think about what is that last TV show that you're watching before you go to bed and how are you carrying that into your dream time? And how is that affecting unconsciously your perspective on what is possible in the world? What wisdom is coming into your life or not coming into your life because of that? And so I feel like at this time in the world, we have to be so considerate about what we invite into our consciousness to work with. And I'm not saying be blind to the world. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying face it all, look at it all, but you can look at it and say, but who do I invite inside into the internal realm of my consciousness that informs what I, what I value, what I believe and what I see as possible. So many times I have this conversation with my own clients and mm. we talk about, you know, what do you want to download Right. Into your computer, us being the computer, because everything we're paying attention to, everything we're speaking, everything that we're watching, all those things we're downloading. And, you know, the great late Wayne Dyer, that was one of his things, you know, what what you put into your mind the last five minutes before you go to sleep, you're going to be marinating on that for the next seven, eight, nine hours. So really to be conscious of of what that is. Yeah. And that whole idea of calling, of using the computer analogy, that's, you know, it's like I I heard once that um, we always refer to our human body in the latest technology. So like in the fifties, the body was a machine, you know, now we refer to it as in computers. And so I think of stories as an operating system, you know, and that operating system is again, what teaches us our values, our belief systems, and what we believe is possible. And that thing of what we believe is possible feels so important to hone in on right now and really focus and make sure that we are really filling ourselves with stories that tell the truth of possibility. Because if there's anything that is so magnificent about this time is that, you know, we're learning more and more and more about what humans are truly capable of, you know, and it's a very exciting time. I love, you know, one of the things that Michael Mead does is, is he brought to so many people the, the true origin word of apocalypse, you know, apocalypse is a word that's been kidnapped. You know, it's been hijacked. It's been mean, you know, many people believe it to be like, oh, the end of the world. Apocalypse, when you go to the origin of this word, it means a lifting of the veils. It's looking behind the curtain of Oz and seeing what's really there. So sometimes you look around the world, you're like, this is the worst time ever to be here. There's racism and sexism and, and horror and immigration issues and blah, blah, blah. This is all horrible. And it's like, well, this has been happening for a long time. And now we're at a time when we're also connected and we have the skills and ability to actually face what's been happening all along. 
and it's very uncomfortable, but it's also, wow, what a relief because now that we can see it, now that we can name it, now we can face it and deal with it. And then when we're looking at climate crisis, again, let's look at the word crisis. Uh, Greek term goes back to decision point. We're at a deciding point. How are we going? How are we going to handle that? What are we going to do with all this information? You know, so uh, we've cast the word change as a bad word in the climate, you know, climate change story. You know, change. My God, if there's if, if there's any old ancient wisdom that we know from the planet that there's the only constant is change. So why have we cast change as a negative thing, as a bad character? So again, it's it. This is a time that requires. You know, it's like, I feel like people feel very vigilant. We have to be vigilant about so many different things. And I, and I hate to be another person ringing that bell. <laughs> but I think that when we become really vigilant about language and story and narrative and how it's being used in our lives, then we have, then we're offered another way of living in our world. I'm Kev Cat and I host No Coke Radio, the weekly hour-long show dedicated to spotlighting musicians within the LGBTQIA community. You can listen to the show every Friday night at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time at NoCo FM. That's N-O-C-O dot F-M. Part of what you're talking about, I, I absolutely resonate with. I mean, for everything you're talking about, actually, I resonate with. And the importance of focusing on not just the the story maybe that the media is telling us right now, but also being able to focus on the greater vision, mm-hmm. the story and this unfolding of this awakening mm-hmm. that we're in right now and, and this awareness, because that is the PowerPoint, you know, as you and as we become aware then we're able to make this change. Yeah, and, and it's like media is tricky and, and it's, you know, someone that works in the media system and really understands how it works. You know, what I would say briefly to that, because that's a whole other conversation, is, is always ask, how big is this story? You know, oftentimes people go, the world is horrible, everything's falling apart. You know, it's like, look out your door. Is it beautiful? Can you breathe the air? Is it, is it, is, are you, it's like, there are so many amazing things happening. Hundreds of thousands of people and organizations from around the world are developing radical, wild innovation at rapid space to meet the times that we're living in. You know, there are so many extraordinary people doing extraordinary things. And let me actually just back that up. There are so many normal people, normal things yes. <laughs> to make this be a, a really wonderful place to live, you know, yeah. and it's every day on the street. And so I feel like so oftentimes it can be so easy, especially if you live in the United States and you really care about politics to look at what's happening and have a lot of fear in the body and have a lot of concern because there's not a lot of alignment. And I think that we need to be in that truth while also living in many other truths that are also existing at the same time. That's the goal, right? That's, I think that's our imperative place right now. You know, depolarizing politics and being able just, you know, I just had Tarek Monib, who was the Mm. creator of Free Trip to Egypt. Mm. And that, that documentary was 
absolutely about that, about learning, able to come together and seeing again, number one, it's very hard to hate up close. Mm -hmm. And as we really listen, deeply listen to one another's stories, how Mm -hmm. we find out that we are so much more connected. Mm-hmm. We have so many more similar experiences. And if we could start aligning on what we have alike, mm-hmm. then that, yeah. that is what grows. I mean, and, and so that we're not, we're no longer polarizing yeah. or demonizing people, that it's really this coming together. And I really do think that that can happen through that deep listening and that, you know, and, and the storytelling. Because when we yeah. really share our authentic story or a story like you're saying, even if it's a story that we've created that is helping to explain mm-hmm. the different elements of our lives, even if it's in myth or if it's in symbolism, we're still being able to speak our more, you know, our inner truth. Mm-hmm. And, th- and that was one of the questions I had for you, Leah, is what, what is the importance or what is the healing importance of speaking our stories? You know, the word that comes up is liberation. And I think it happens in two folds. It happens in the sense of when we speak the truth of our lives, then there's a liberation in that. And there's also that happens for others, that when we speak the truth in our lives, there's also a liberation for others that happens. Where that peace in them that might have been silenced or might not have known that there's a place for it in the world, um, can live with more ease and can be revealed, or maybe it wasn't even seen before, you know? So I feel like storytelling, it's, it's risky business. You know, when we get really honest and speak to the core of what we're doing, but there's also something so extraordinary because there's different stages of storytelling, right? Sometimes, and we saw this in the Me Too movement, when someone is telling their story for the very first time, it involves trauma. Something needs to happen where you need to be witnessed. You need to be believed. You know, when there's those kinds of things that, that are happening. And so there's, there's stages. And then there's this opportunity to come to another stage with a story. Where you begin to take your story and you begin to make this kind of arc where you can offer it as a gift. And when you start to take your story and your personal story and you offer it as a gift, you start looking for other things. And, it's, and, it, and it stops so much as needing to be witnessed as, as actually the energy shifts. And now you have a gift to give. And in this gift, and when you're telling a story in this way, there's it, your story gets a little bit bigger and it becomes almost as much about your audience as about your own story. It starts to focus on universal truths. It starts to be just a little bit bigger. And these are the kinds of stories that can be carried. These are the kinds of stories that hold wisdom and insight and guidance. And um, they're built with a little bit of a different intention. And you might not know the difference if you're listening to them, but you'll feel the difference. And yeah, so I think storytelling is it's an incredible thing. And we're still learning about how to do it again, because, because it's, it's like that thing that, like you said, you can't hate up close. I love that. You know, and, and it's... Um, there's so much that we learn about each other and there's so much compassion and empathy that happens in the space of storytelling. Well, and I love, thank you for sharing that, the, the different stages and the importance of, yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly it. You know, in, in my profession as well, you know, it's so oftentimes our secrets that make us sick. Mm. So when we're not able to tell our story, when our voice is really yeah. shut down, what mm-hmm. happens to the mind, body, you know, emotionally, what, what happens internally, and then to move to the power of just being witnessed. 
mm-hmm. of being validated, mm-hmm. you know, just like I hear you. And then in, in our further evolution, if you will, of healing, mm-hmm. then I love the way that you phrase that because that's exactly it. As, as we heal, then that story mm-hmm. and as, as we're able to share it with others becomes our gift to them because it also allows them the experience mm-hmm. of not only, you know, reflecting within themselves, how it resonates or connects with them, mm-hmm. but developing a greater sense of empathy and compassion for each other. Yeah. And our stories will change. And I think that's a really, really, really important. I think of, you know, as I, I look at stories as having a life force on their own and just like a tree, you know, a sapling, we don't expect a sapling to say the same size. We expect it to grow. Same thing with our stories. And there's this amazing Ted talk um, given by this man at, at TEDx Charlottesville. I wish I could remember his name because he tells the most compelling example and story of how he'd had something very traumatic happen to him as a child and how his mother said, you have to tell your story over and over and over again. And you have to tell it until it changes so that you live in a different way in it. And, and that's the best example that I have because if when the, the hardest thing is when we tell our stories the same over and over again, we don't get to evolve in them and we kind of get stuck in that place. And the most traumatizing thing that happens, we can actually, again, put some air in your balloon, put a little bit, expand your story. And you can all of a sudden start playing a different role, even though what happens doesn't change how you experience it, what you glean from it, the wisdom, how you live your life forward will change or could change based on how you tell your story. And so it really can be the pathway of liberation. What you said that really just struck me was this whole thing that, because I I think what can happen sometimes is that we get stuck in our story and we become our story. We're so over-identified with it that, like you said, it's like like we are so stuck in the stem of that balloon. We're never, you know, it's like we don't grow through our story. We don't evolve through our story. Yeah. So that's such a perfect analogy, again, of how do we expand the story? How does our personal story evolve and become infused with wisdom and meaning yeah. so that yeah. that becomes the story we're passing on and we're living through? Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite examples of this is, you know, I was in my mid 30s and, and I had not found my beloved, you know, and I, I so longed to have what all my friends had, you know, which, which was this loving relationship with a man or, or a woman or whatever it was, that, that sacred partner, you know. And I, I kept seeing myself as being less than. I kept, I was stuck in this old story of not being chosen. I was, I was in this story that I couldn't have what I wanted because, or I wasn't valuable. There were so, there were so many layers in this, you know, in this not being coupled story. But the biggest one was that, you know, not being lovable or not being loved. And my dad actually gave me the key out of the story. And he came and he visited me in California. And at the time I was living in the Bay Area and in a very tight-knit community. And it was my best friend's birthday. And I said, you're going to have to come to our, per- our birthday. And he saw the connection that I had with so many people in this community. And we hugged and we laughed and we, there was a, a connection and intimacy in our community. And he was like, Leah, you might not have one husband, but you've got five husbands. And all of a sudden I looked around And I saw my life in a completely different way. And I was like, 
oh my God, I do have five husbands, you know? And I had my dear friend who was a mechanic who no matter what time of day or whatever was always willing to help me anything with my car. I had a friend that would always go dancing with me. I had a, a friend who was deeply committed to my work becoming a storyteller and he was also a storyteller and we were growing our, our work in our world in this way. And I started to see that I had all these very committed, loyal, loving relationships. And all of a sudden I was like, I started making my friends jealous because I was like, yeah, I don't have one husband, I've got five. <laughs> I started telling them all that I had. And I went from being like this, you know, playing the victim, playing the poor me card for years, you know, and all my friends agreed, oh, poor Leah, she doesn't have, she's not lovable, blah, blah, blah. And they believed me. And I think that uh, that's one of the things I've really learned that what we say ourselves, what we say about ourselves, most people with very few exception will believe you. There's a few people that will see through your internal lies, but most people will believe what you say about yourself. And so it took me years to realize how important that was. And it's, it was, it changed my life. It totally changed my life. So you, I know you offer workshops and, and first mm-hmm. of all, thank you so much for sharing that story with us. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, that's just such a great moment where your world just opened up and your story mm-hmm. opened up mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. changed your life. Yeah. You know, you, you, you do workshops to help people get in touch with their own storytelling. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Ah, well, um, I have two courses that I run. So I run, I run, most of my classes are online. So one of them is called A Rebel Tell. And this class is actually happening right now as we speak. And um, people can join if they want. They would just watch a couple of the videos. And, it's, and it was really, that name was inspired. It's called Rebel Tell, Seeing, Hearing, Creating the Stories of Our Time, the Transition Times. And it, and it was really looking at, this is a rebellion. To choose to tell stories that have beauty, grace, and wisdom into the, this time that holds so much fear, so many negative projections, where there is a lot of hate. It's a choice, and it's a and it's it's a it's a it's a disciplined choice to choose to tell these kinds of stories and to choose to look for these stories and highlight them. So I really wanted to create a course that was really focused on on that kind of form of rebellion, you know, of, of living with joy in hard times. And then in the fall, I have another course that's called Speak the Spark. Storytelling for a New Paradigm. <laughs> and I love this course. This is our third year. And we have amazing guest teachers, Joanna Macy, Carolyn Casey, Bayo Ekafat, Dina Metzger, just like just wisdom keepers. And I think that's one of the things that I was really committed to in our times. It's how can I play a part in bringing the wisdom keepers to as many people as possible? So that's that course comes. And then we also have, uh, we do have a part called the performance intensive where we meet in person. And these people will come to the Bay Area of California where we do weekend workshops and retreats and they get to be a part of a real experience of telling their own story and doing it as a live performance. And one of the things that I do with my, um, with the people who participate in that is they get paid for my performance. And to me, that was really important to integrate because I feel like we have done such a disservice to our artists. You know, we, we pretend so often as if their work isn't of value, as if their work isn't co-creating 
all of our reality. And so I really want to be a part of making sure that anyone that performs under my umbrella gets paid. <laughs> Maybe not a lot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then uh, we also have the dance performance intensive. Most people will get to do a story ritual. And we're working with the story of betrayal and Medea. So it's, a, it's going to be a big year. Wow. So how do people, Leah, find out about this? How can people find you? They can go to speakthespark.com. That's for the course. They can always go to lealam.com, which is my very under-updated website. Um, and then they can also go to medicinestories.com. And that's where I do a, a mystical form of storytelling where I work with people about, in their, about their personal mythology. And it's, a, it's an old technique, an ancient technique of mystical storytelling. So this I, I came across in as honest a way as possible, which is, you know, when I was working with my book, I did it um, using a very technique of, of grounding and sourcing, connecting to spirit. And in that, I developed and understood that I um, had kind of remembered or discovered this very old way of storytelling. And I discovered that, you know, we all have intuition and it's like a muscle that can be worked on. And um, my intuition is that I can see how people's lives are living in the mythic dimension. So Michael Mead says, behind this dimension is the mythic dimension. And I discovered rather accidentally that I have this ability to see how people's lives are living there. So what I do is I literally sit with them and I divine a story in the moment and it comes with a song and a story. And then we really work with them to see how are they living in their consciousness? How, what is the story revealed of them about their lives? And um, at first I was very, very, it took me a long time to come out of the closet with this because yeah. it was so different. And, and I was just, it was too weird for me. And I went on this, this hunt to be like, how is this happening? Like, who are my teachers? Who can, you know, the whole thing that anyone would do. And I came across something in, in Clarissa Piccola Estes book where she talked about this ancient sect of storytellers, of mystical storytellers that use El Duarte, the wind, to blow the soul of people into their face. And what I've come to understand is, is I call them soul stories. And I, it's not that I'm blowing the soul into your face as much as I'm showing you what's already there. People can already feel it, but they don't always have the capacity to name it. And they don't always understand the archetypal mythic dimensionality of it. So again, it's another way of seeing and experiencing your life in a much bigger way. And you can start to relate to things in, a, in another way when you have more information and more capacity to be more of what you are. That's beautiful. You can get private sessions and then you can also join me. I have a, a group that meets monthly on the, on the first Saturday after the new moon of each month. And we work with a story together as a group and it's really fun. So that's called The Hour of the Wolf. And you can find that at medicinestories.com. Before we wrap up, I want to hear a little bit more about your book in the series, The Whale Dreamer. Yeah. Oh gosh. So I'm in the final edit as we speak. So it's probably going to be piloted you're like, why is a story going to be piloted? Um, the social impact campaign will be piloted hopefully in January. But The Whale Dreamer is, you know, it's a story that's really designed to, you know, and I want to, I want to rewind just for a second, because yeah. to say designed means that I like created the structure to do this. I would say that I set an intention to really be someone that that carried stories that would the times that we're in and what came through in that clear intention was the whale dreamer as a story as a story that showed up to that for that call and the story is about this young girl named kelly who 
um, discovered at a very young age on the day that she was born that she is what's called a passerby, meaning that animals that are going extinct pass through her. So her very, very normal family is forced into this sort of magical realism reality when apparitions of all these animals that are going extinct show up in their home. And the world is both beautiful because she gets to see them, you know, and, and, and live among these beautiful creatures and has grief because she also experiences losing them. And on her 10th birthday, the whales identify her as being the one who they've been waiting for. And she calls them into the ocean where she discovers that she in the ocean is the key to the garden of life, the place where the dream of our future has been um, stored and is now ready to be surfaced. So that's, you know, a, a bit of an insight of looking into that, the first book, you know, and then the second book goes into a whole other thing and kills the mythology of the, of the power of one, because that's an old story and really surfaces the true story of our time, which is the story of the collaboration, of the story of the collaborative. But yeah, it's, it's going to be a book series and with it has a social impact campaign that really gives young people who read it or anyone that reads it an opportunity to get um, directly involved with our local community and specifically with the people in their community who have the most control and influence over resources. So we're, we're giving them the tools to influence the restaurants in their local communities about where they get their resources and how they manage their disposal of their resources in a way of saying, hey, look, policy might not have been quick enough. But that doesn't mean that we make anyone into the bad guy, that we're like, hey, we're all in this together. How do we start really thinking in a collaborative way that says, hey, let's, we're all in this together. Let's make it better together. So it's, um, it's been a really amazing initiative to be working on in terms of the story and the social impact campaign. And that's the whaledreamer.com. And you can also follow us on social media. Excellent. Well, Leah, this has just been such a treat to talk with you and... I could keep talking to you. You have amazing energy and I just, I just love your intention and what you're putting into the world and just bringing this ancient art truly to, to full fruition. And for our times, that's, that's exactly where we're at, right? We need to start speaking our stories. We need to start telling our truths and we need to also help lift up one another through these stories as we make them yeah. into this collective whole. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Toni Morrison, I just, you know, want to honor her rest in peace. And, and I just read one of her quotes today that said, if you are free, then you have a responsibility to free others. And there's another piece and I'm killing her, her quote, but what I want to speak to is, is that we can do this through our language and we can do this through stories that we tell as just one of the ways. So thank you so much. It's been such a sheer treat to get to talk to you. And thank you for letting me share this with your community. So the importance of telling our story goes beyond just the healing value that it has for ourselves. It can really help add to the collective healing of our world. We can use storytelling as a way to see a new paradigm, and we can really use our storytelling to collaborate with others and use it for a tool in self-awareness, social change, and community building. It's actually a way that we can connect with one another and connect more deeply with our inner selves. 
I think one of the important pieces is getting in touch with our story. And as Leah said, it becomes just that balloon where we don't want to just stay stuck in the stem of the balloon. We want to learn how to blow our story up. And that doesn't mean that we start telling tall tales. It means that we breathe more life into our story, that we go beyond just the maybe experience that happened to us in our past, but we're actually breathing life into the story for its wisdom, for the awareness that we gain and how it can help transform us to the next place in our lives and the ways in which we can use and utilize our story to just become threads in the tapestry in the bigger story of our lives, looking for meaning, looking for value and looking for the wisdom that continues to grow this beautiful story in our lives. Remember, The Spark is your show too. If you have questions, feedback on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us at our website, thesparkpod.com, and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. New episodes of The Spark air Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Mountain. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional and should not be considered medical advice. If you're having a mental or physical health crisis, please seek treatment immediately. The Spark is produced by NOCO Media Limited, which is solely responsible for its content. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life. I'm Stephanie James. This has been a production of NOCO-FM.